Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. While you're out there listening today, please go and take a moment to rate and review Behind the Line on Apple Podcast. Your support and feedback goes a long way in making this resource more visible to others who work in first response and frontline work. Thanks so much for your help and support. Today, we are finishing up our series spotlighting a few amazing helping professionals who have taken their experience and learning as frontline helpers and sought to go above and beyond in bridging gaps, offering supports, and calling out broken systems. Today, I am here with Patrick Greenhill. Sergeant Greenhill is a certified law enforcement instructor and teaches at the basic academy level in a variety of topics, as well as being a contracted instructor for the Ohio Peace Officer Training Academy, teaching advanced training. He's currently the associate commander of a police academy in the Cleveland area. Among his accomplishments, Sergeant Greenhill was the program coordinator for Safe Passages, an initiative that opened the doors of police agencies as access points to substance abuse treatment services and other necessary ancillary services. The Safe Passages initiative began in 2016 and has run in 14 Cleveland area police agencies since that time. The program was intended as a model program for public and private community partnerships to address overall community health and wellness. More recently, Patrick has partnered with a team from various backgrounds to develop the four R's path, emotional resilience, mission readiness, health reintegration, and retention, which is focused on both individual and organizational health and wellness. The four R's path team is comprised of individuals from varied backgrounds and professional knowledge to include first responders, active duty military, military veterans, and mindset performance coaches, among others. I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you guys. Let's jump in. Welcome, Patrick. We're so excited to have you here today on Behind the Line. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I I truly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, well, it's so good to have you. I know we've kind of been chatting back and forth on whatever various social media platforms for the last little while. So it's really great to finally get to connect kind of for real. Although I think you're sitting in Ohio right now and I'm sitting in British Columbia, but you know, it's like the same. Yeah, I'm sitting sitting in suburban Cleveland right now, probably about uh, 10 minutes outside the city. 
Well, Patrick, why don't we start with this? Can you maybe tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, kind of what our audience should know about you as we jump into our conversation together today? Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm 30 years into my law enforcement career. I've been with the same agency for the entire time. It's a suburban uh, wow. agency just outside of Cleveland. Um, you know, we only have, uh, currently we have 32 officers in the department. Um, and, you know, I've been very fortunate to have a number of roles within the agency over my career. Um, and so the, the list is very mm. long. Currently, my assignment, um, I'm the detective sergeant. So I run the detective bureau for our, for our agency. Um, previously okay. to that, probably, you know, mo most significant to your audience, I, I spent almost five years running our community engagement uh, unit for the department where we developed a lot of different programming um, for not just, you know, the, the agency, but for the community itself, trying to link the two together in various ways. So that, you know, but again, I'm, I'm also, you know, a firearms, firearms instructor and motorcycle officer. And, and again, I just, I've been very fortunate in my career to have the varied experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Um, but, on, but on the really, on the most important side, you know, I, I, I'm a husband, um, a, a father to two grown children. Um, you know, I have a daughter that, that yeah. lives down in Cincinnati and a son that still lives in the Cleveland area. Um, you know, I volunteer okay. quite a bit in my community. Um, you know, belong yeah. to several uh, uh, social and fraternal organizations that donate uh, a lot of time to various community causes. Mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty pretty much how I spend my days between yeah, between work and those those organizations. Well, and like thirty years, that's nothing to sneeze at. Like that's a pretty substantial career, especially in something like law enforcement. Certainly, um, I think we were chatting before we actually hit record about. Um, Jim Dudley and and one of the things I really loved in talking with him um, on a series we did last summer was him sharing about how uh, part of how he feels he was able to stay as sustainable in his line of work as he was had a lot to do with kind of taking the opportunities as they came like not staying in the exact same thing for That's long right. stretches of time taking any additional training that was offered taking the options to add this piece or put on this other hat and that in changing it up fairly regularly, he contributes a lot of his ability to stay sustainable in the work to those pieces. And I'm curious if that feels like the same as your experience. It, it does now, but it wasn't always that way. You know, there, there was a time in okay. my career that I had done significant damage, um, you know, to myself and, and I'm sure that's something that we can get into a little bit more, but, but, you know, really I had to work very intentionally on my resiliency. Um, and yes, so I would agree with him wholeheartedly since that time, one of the things that I've, you know, grown into is really loving challenges. Um, you know, anything that's going to be a mental challenge, a physical challenge, um, it's something that intrigues me. Um, but again, I had to work towards that and, and I, I had to earn that back. You know, sometimes in our youth, we take our youth for granted and we believe that that can get us through anything for our lives. And, and maybe that perspective over time, I think, is something else that I appreciate now, um, you know, over a 30 year career to look back. Yeah. Um, and, and part of what I try to do is share the lessons that I've learned with other officers so they don't have to go through some of the things that I did and pay mm -hmm. some of the price that I did, mm -hmm. you know, personally. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think that that is, I think, the risk of the work, right, is that um, 
if we're not really careful, if we're not really mindful, and if we don't have those people who like you show up to try to offer some of that advising that says, how about you don't make my mistakes? How about you do it a little bit differently than I did it? Um, how about I help kind of point you to the ways to avoid some of the hurts that I hurt through when we don't have those people who guide us, it's a big trap and it's really easy to fall into. And so I really value some of the reflections you might have to offer around a 30 year career. Cause I certainly think that that's a lot of people's goal, right? Like I think most people go into this line of work, believing it will be their lifelong career. And yet more and more, I think we're finding and seeing that people are not making it all the way to retirement. Um, and that's scary. Yeah. And, and I will tell you that more, most recently, you know, my agency, we had a couple officers resign, uh, both of them leaving the profession. And, and I yeah. cannot, you know, fault them for one moment. These were decisions that they had to make on a personal level uh, for themselves, for their families. Um, and it was not easy for either of them to make those decisions. Um, you know, whenever, whenever I got into this line of work, I, again, I was very fortunate because I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do, right, from, from a fairly mm -hmm. early age. Um, I knew that I wanted to be in some type of service business. And that's what we are in law enforcement. You know, I think sometimes yeah. officers maybe lose sight of that. But that's in the end, that's what we're in. We're in a people business. We're in a service business. Yeah. Um, and yes, there's a component, obviously, of enforcement that goes along with that. But even that is part of the service we provide. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I would agree, you know, we're starting to see more officers walking away from the profession in general. Um, we're also seeing something that's unique to our area that's new for us, and that is lateral transfers. Um, and that's going okay. to be a challenge for organizations to improve their culture and their atmosphere. Because in the Cleveland area, in Ohio, most commonly officers would obtain a position with an agency going through some type of civil service uh, process where they would have to take various tests and then compete. And, you know, now for officers that already have experience, they can laterally transfer to other agencies. And most agencies in the Cleveland area, and there are some very good ones, they are now hiring laterally. That's a temptation to officers. Um, but I think it's also, it's excellent for our profession in this way. Um, it is going to be a competition now for organizations that instead of talking about changing their culture, which we get a lot of, there's a lot of talk, yeah. not a lot of action um, sure. about, you know, really creating an atmosphere that is beneficial to the employees. Um, you know, we could talk a lot about officer wellness and, and you know, I've, I've done so, you know, with the state, you know, with our uh, Peace Officer Training Commission with the attorney general's office. Um, and there are people with good intentions, but a lot of times it ends at talk. There's yeah. not a lot of action steps. And that's, you know, kind of like maybe segueing a little bit. That's, that's, you know, part of the reason why I went into, you know, some of the work I do outside of my agency, um, you know, very intentionally, um, yeah. you know, trying to find those avenues where I could help change the conversation. Hmm. I think that's actually a really insightful piece that some of the lateral transfer, opportunities create a different kind of a conversation and kind of force a hand in a way because I think that is the challenge right is that you know there is only one version of of these professions right there's only one version of what it looks like to do law enforcement there's only one version of what it looks like to do paramedicine right like the, the companies or the um, public service groups that offer those services are the only employer 
of those services. And so there isn't the same competitive capacity to say, you know, like if, if I want to be an accountant, I want to work in a certain kind of culture. I get to decide that I leave this company and, and transfer or move over to this other company in order to find an environment that feels like it brings out the best for me as a professional. There haven't been the same kinds of opportunities for people who want to be in helping professions to have that kind of agency for themselves in choosing cultures that bring out the best for them. And so I think you're right that that creates a very different kind of opportunity for um, employers to really look at what they've been asking and what they are offering and is it competitive um, and how will they hold up in a more competitive workplace climate. It is a change. It is. And, and it's something that you know, you're really trying to help your your agency heads, your, your decision makers see that mm-hmm. it's not always a matter of cost. There are partners yeah. in your communities that want to work with you. Um, yeah. There are very cost-effective ways to going about, you know, in, you know, implementing various programs. But I would say this too, and, and again, this is just my personal experience. But I think that's something that's not uncommon in law enforcement. You know, all of us go into the job realizing that there is going to be shift work involved. Um, you know, I worked rotating shifts mm-hmm. for the first twenty-one years of my career. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you know the damage that can do to someone. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know that there's going to be shift work. You know there's going to be an element of a danger potentially with the job, and we all accept that. I think the biggest challenge, at least for me personally, and maybe for some others, is not realizing the slings and arrows that are going to come in, you know, come at you from within your own four walls, and that organizational culture. Mm-hmm. I, I hear a lot about procedural justice, and um, you know, I, I, again, I think a very important issue, huge proponent of it. Um, but there's also a concept of organizational justice. And, you know, really, yeah. whatever agency culture that you have, the atmosphere you create, you can't expect your officers to then go out on the street and perform in a different way. You know, if, if they are not feeling the support, if they are not feeling the, um, you know, the respect uh, internally, you know, it's very difficult to have them then go out on the street and turn around and, and say that, you know, you want your officers to treat the public with respect and dignity and all the important issues that they should be. So so I guess what I'm advocating is is modeling. You know, w- what are your leaders modeling? And, it, and if they are not totally. you know, modeling a culture of support and wellness and health, you know, from a holistic perspective, you know, then to me, you know, really the officers are either on their own to find those things or um, there's really a difference between what you are saying and what you're doing, right? It's just like when we work on policy. You can have all the policies you want in the world, and they're not going to be worth the paper they're written on if they aren't true in fact, right? What are your actual yeah. practices? So that's, I think, one of yeah. the one of the biggest challenges that, that agencies are facing right now. Um, and maybe this maybe this opportunity with the lateral transfers is is going to force some hands. You know, um, again, I, I do believe there's a lot mm-hmm. of good people that have good intentions, but I think, you know, we're, we're just missing, um, you know, the the opportunities to form those partnerships. And, and if I could, let me let me just segue just for a second too. you know, I, I do have a little bit of experience that within the agency, um, you know, we had developed a program back in 2016 called Safe Passages and what Safe Passages was, mm-hmm. was opening our police agency as a um, basically an access point 
for substance abuse treatment services. Uh, at that time in the Cleveland area, we were already yeah. experiencing fentanyl. Um, so you're talking, geez, you know, now we're yeah. talking seven years ago. Um, we were already in the grips mm-hmm. of the fentanyl epidemic in Cleveland. It was one of the first places in the country yeah. to really be significantly hit. Ohio as well in general. Um, but, yeah. but what we did was we went out and formed partnerships with, and we broke down some barriers and walls with some groups that we don't traditionally work with. It was interesting to walk into a lot of offices as a police officer and maybe go to someone who's working somewhere in social work and saying, you know, we really need to partner. Um, you know, I, I think there's 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 a much a greater acceptance of that today than there was seven years ago. Um, yeah. But but, you know, for me, that's where these answers lie. Forming those partnerships, mm-hmm. you know, for your agency whether it's with NGOs, um, whether it's, you know, finding grant funding, because there is a tremendous amount of grant funding out there today to support these, totally. these causes. Um, but really, it's just knocking on some doors and making some phone calls. You know, that's that's how we created the entirety mm-hmm. of the Safe Passages mm-hmm. program. Um, yeah. And, and, fortunately, well, we're and that's the really cool thing, right, is that there are mm-hmm. these opportunities. Yes. The question is, who will take them on? Who will pick them up? Who will get involved? Yes. And, and so this is where I talk about creating creating culture, right? Creating that atmosphere. So again, just using that as an example, I was fortunate because my agency allowed me to go this route. You know, in, in reality, we had someone come to us and say, are you familiar with this type of a program? We were not at the time. We were looking to address it from an agency standpoint and a community standpoint. And I was given the opportunity and the leeway. So you know, I, I think that, you know, it was having that opportunity through my agency. So that's what agencies can do with an officer wellness, you know, um, uh, program. I, uh, let me say this. I'm not going to I'm not throwing the state of Ohio under the bus. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there are some you know, great people working on these projects. But but right now at the attorney general's office, the entirety of the officer, the office of officer wellness is basically one person. Now, he's fantastic at what he does, but if you really, truly believe that wellness is such an important component of what our first responders are facing, how is it that at the state level, with a state with 12 million people in it, 12 million people live in Ohio, and we have one person working, we have almost 18,000 police officers in the state of Ohio alone. We have one person at that office level, Mm -hmm. and he works very hard um, to, to, you know, bring programming to agencies. Totally. So, so yeah, you know, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to um, put forward other than, other than saying that you're going to do it? That's the challenge. Well, and I think what I am curious about and, and what I hope for, for you to maybe speak to a little bit from your experience is for sure there's a systems level piece, right? Like that, that at a systems level, we have one guy that does that job. Um, but then there's like the frontline experience of that, where we recognize it's insufficient. It's not enough. It's not doing the thing we need it to do. And we're hurting down here. And so then I think there's this like frontline initiative to try to fill those gaps, except we're asking the people who are already doing the hard, hard things to add more to their plates, to do more hard things in order to support themselves. And I think that's where, you know, this conversation about people who are willing to kind of go above and beyond, like the job is already hard. We already ask a lot of you. And then you see these gaps and you're someone who goes, I think I can do more here. 
what elicits that for you? Like what motivates and keeps you inspired to make the time and the space and the energy to continue additionally investing in some of these things that matter to you when there's already so much on your plate? I think, you know, really kind of going back to my childhood in a way, you know, and how I was raised, um, you know, I, both my parents came from a very, uh, poor background, um, poor as fine in in the terms financially. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, they had always imparted upon me that if you are able to help, you should. Um, and so there was a huge service component even growing up. Um, so that was something that that's that, that early influence in life. You know, we talk about belief systems and where they come from. I mean, that was, you know, in a lot of ways where it, where it sprang from, but, but again, now to be a little more, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, Bernie Brown always talks about, um, vulnerability, right? Totally. And so I think that it's important when you're going to have these discussions, you have to be vulnerable and honest. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a little bit older, when I was a teenager, um, you know, my, my mother, um, attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was there for that Uh and, um, you know, ended up being in a position of having to try and help. Um, It was something I was not prepared for. Mm. Um, You never really experienced anything like that in my life. Um, And then and then going forward, um, you know, there were other family members that had suffered from some, you know, uh, substance abuse issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seeing some of that growing up. And knowing that these were were good people with stories that deserve dignity and respect and help, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of the reason why why I got into law enforcement. Um, You know, I I, I always, you know, what I, I, so one of the other side jobs I have, (laughs) I've gone for all the different things I do. Uh Um, You know, I work at at our local youth academy, which is where I am right now. Um, And I always talk to the cadets about help. Like, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. You, You want to get into this profession to help people. And help can take a lot of different forms. And that's where, but that's where it started for me. That was my version of helping. I was capable. This is my responsibility, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to do something and not to just stand idly by um, and watch others suffer. And and so, you know, again, a lot of those early experiences, I think what brought me to where I am today. Um, But now it's, it's seeing through my career, you know, uh, losing friends to suicide, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, being, you know, working with families of fallen officers yeah. and seeing seeing these things up close firsthand and knowing that I can do something to help. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, so my personal experience and some of the issues that, that I went through, you know, and, and damaging myself because I was, I would always joke and say that I wasn't burning the candle at both ends. I just took the candle and threw it in the fire. I mean, why bother burning it at both ends? Um, right, but I had to learn from that. You know, what I'd done... Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, just throw it in. What's what's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I think that one of the experiences I had, and, and I'd love to share with your audience because I encourage them to do so, is get your cortisol checked um, mm-hmm. because I had damaged my body's ability to produce cortisol. So you want to talk about biometric markers? I mean, that is one that is significant. Um, you know, when it comes to decision making, when it comes to you know, it, cortisol is almost like a linchpin. Um, for everyone, but let's talk just just for a second, for those of us in law enforcement that are going to be involved in, let's say some type of critical incident Mm -hmm. and you really need that autonomic nervous system firing the way it's supposed to, right? You need to be able to rest and relax, but you also need to be able to perform. Well, you know, I always had my foot on the gas pedal 
and didn't really work that brake pedal very much. Not sure that I even had them. Um, but I, but I had to learn from that and very intentionally work on my resilience, work on my rest and my recovery. Um, and, and really, a, a begin to my, live my life more from that, that whole person perspective, you know, and not just that, that very narrow perspective. Um, you know, I, I ruined my first marriage. Um, you know, I married my high school sweetheart. And uh, instead, I was married to the job, hmm. and it was on me. Yeah, you know, this was this was on me. Again, very hard life lessons, mm-hmm. um, but not unusual in law enforcement. I'm not I'm not unique in any way, shape, or form. Sadly, this is my story is a very common story. Yeah. This is why, for me, I part of the reason why I wanted to be involved in police academy mm-hmm. was starting there. Yeah. Right? Let's let's talk to these cadets right from the very beginning about what they're facing in their careers some of the potential pitfalls, um, and not just the ones that are very obvious. Totally. You know, what are the ones that lie under the surface? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And I think that's, um, it speaks very much to exactly why I got into all of this ridiculousness that I had zero intention of doing. Right? Like, I did not think to myself, you know what I want to be when I grow up, I want to be a podcaster about frontline work, right? Like, it came out of this place of seeing so many people like you who, um, you know, even as you say this piece of like, it was on me in my head, it, I'm screaming inside being like, no, it actually wasn't even you. It's that we failed to equip you. That was actually an us problem, right? Like we, as a culture, we, as a employer who has been doing this a very long time, failed to give you the pieces that would let you not just be a good cop at your job for a bit, but to be a good human in your life long-term, including a good cop in your job for longer than a bit. Right. And that was like, that's on us as a, as a collective us. And in so doing, we leave you with these gaps that what else are you supposed to do? Like, where are you supposed to know to get that from? If no one tells you that it's a problem. Well, that's why I love what you're doing, um, because that conversation needs to be had exactly in the way you just said yeah. it. We need to be equipping people from the outset. Yeah. Um, you know, the part, part of the group that I work with, they actually teach this in schools, Good. In, in like high yes. school. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're out there trying to, you know, move the needle on teen suicide. Yeah. Um, because they see that how people are, are disaffected. And I want to go back to one one word mm-hmm. that you used, ridiculousness, yeah. right? And and in, in a way, that's what we are asking of, of frontline workers. Totally. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be just law enforcement, right? That's just one aspect of it, one small aspect, yeah. but one aspect. We ask people to do things as human beings that truly are ridiculous. 100%. Um, it, the things that we see, the things that we experience, you never unsee them. And, and so in a way I, I caught onto that too, as well, when you said about how you got drawn into this, right? Once you saw that you felt in good consciousness, you couldn't turn and walk away. Um, I, I feel that I completely understand that. Um, I would, I want to do this so somebody else doesn't have to, right? I, I mean, um, you know, again, I, I didn't always view it that way. I feel myself fortunate now to be allowed to have done what I have done during my career. I am grateful for the opportunities I've had. Yes, there have been some very hard times, but even those have shaped me, 
right? That whole idea, you're hearing a lot of this talk now about that post-traumatic growth, right? That's like the hot topic now. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me to take that as like that that stepping off point. Um, because yes, there, there was trauma that I experienced, but I have grown from it. But it was through intentional work. That's not something that just happens. You have to be very cognizant of it, right? If you don't even have that awareness, um, then, you know, it, it really can lead you down that, you know, again, so it's what so many of us do in law enforcement, those maladaptive coping mechanisms, right? You know, it wasn't unusual. We'd have, we'd have a call. You didn't even pay attention to the fact that you almost died, you know, but an hour later and it all dawns on you like, wow, you know, you all look at each other and say, well, you know, I'm glad we're all still here. Hey, let's go to, let's go to the bar and have a beer, right? We're going to choir <laughs> practice. And that's how things were handled. I don't see that as much anymore, and I'm happy. I'm happy. And by the way, I'm 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 actually leaving in a couple of days to go on the bourbon trail in Kentucky. So I'm not saying that that I don't enjoy to have a sip of bourbon. But on the flip side of that, it's using it as that coping mechanism is where that where that problem lies. Um, and and I see that so many times. Again, an agency of only thirty people, but we have faced all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with with substance abuse among our officers. Um, suicide, um, mental health issues, um, time and again, totally. and, and I and I just hate seeing that replay. So what can I do about that, right? So that's kind of what brings me here today. What what can I do to help change that conversation, to change the atmosphere and the culture? Behind the line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so with that then, my big question for you is, have you seen meaningful outcomes from those efforts? Yeah, so so right now, I'm, I'm, I'm starting small, right, on a very personal level. You know, the, the whole idea of the, the area that you can influence versus, you know, what you can control. And, and I really try to keep it close to home. Um, but, but even having, having this conversation with you, I I have no idea who's going to hear this and maybe it helps them. Um, or at least it sparks an idea in their mind that maybe they want to help in some way. Um, but look, but locally, I, I am lucky enough to be able to teach in the police Academy. And one of the things I teach is a curriculum that, that I help develop, um, specifically addressing wellness. And, and part of the, part of the, the angle we take, um, 
is talking about performance, right? Optimizing performance. Um, because one of the people that, that was really kind of the developers of the program, um, his name is Brian Grasso. Um, he had worked up in Toronto <laughs> um, with professional Olympic athletes in Canada. Yeah. And this was probably, geez, 20, over 20 years ago now. And what Brian really looked at was what was separating the, like the Olympic athletes, those that would make the Olympic team versus those that would, let's say, medal. Because he saw mm -hmm. tremendous athletic capabilities amongst all of them. And it was the mindset. You know, were they able to stay in the present moment? Were they able to be task-focused? So they could be task-oriented, but could they be task-focused? Um, so, you know, from there, you know, I'm really kind of leaving the, this is Cliff Notes version, um, you know, kind of fast forwarding, you know, Brian really set about trying to learn as much as he possibly could about mindset um, and then went about developing a program to try and help other people. He started with athletes because that was his realm. Right. And it's really kind of branched out since then. Um, but, you know, after what had happened um, with George Floyd in um, Minneapolis, they decided to, or Brian decided that he wanted to do something a little more specific for first responders and law enforcement um, specifically. And so I think, you know, from his, from his mind, he saw, um, and I'm going to talk this in a very narrow way, um, that that officer, something led that officer, that you know, Derek Chauvin, something led him there that day. Mm -hmm. What led him there that day? Yeah. You know, most people don't wake up and say, I'm going to, I'm going to go hurt someone today. Um, but what right. were all the steps that led him to that point? I mean, he's paying a price for what he did, rightfully so. But what led him there? Did we let him down somewhere along the line? Because, you know, this is, you have to be willing to look at these type situations and have empathy, empathy for where we came from. You know, you have to have an understanding of what the history is. Um, because you really aren't going to be able to change that that conversation and move things if you don't know what the history is and you don't you don't respect it. Yeah. Um, so you know that to me really with the cadets I see that um, you know one of the things I do you know I actually wear wear you know a, a performance tracker device that mm -hmm. you know um, a lot of the cadets went out and purchased you know and and again I which you know I'm not advocating for any device but what I'm saying is. These are metrics that you can be looking at on a daily basis. What is your daily foundational routine that you can move the needle over time, right? It's that simple, yeah. consistent effort on a daily basis that's going to move the needle over time. And then also, you know, working with veterans. You know, I've had the opportunity to speak to veterans groups very specifically um, on these concepts. Mm. Uh, and again, the same way, but, but with the veterans, I was able to get some grant funding. And I not only provide them with a fitness tracker so they can... I very, very specifically ask them to, to track their heart rate variability, um, mm -hmm. but I also provide them with a glucometer because I want them to track their resting, fasting blood glucose. Yeah. Because again, you know, we, when we start to talk about this from a performance perspective, what are numbers that you can attach, right? Yeah. Because we can have, you know, that, that subjective, you know, the feeling that I feel better, but can you start putting some numbers to it? Because some people really like to see numbers, yeah. right? They like to see data and results. Um, and, and letting them see that their efforts, their efforts can make a huge difference in their, their life on that daily basis. Right. So they're getting that, that positive feedback in a way. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So those are, yeah, those are just some of the little things that I get to see, um, you know, in, in a, on a personal local influence level.
And that's that's renewing to me, right? Every time I have that opportunity to talk to someone and they come come up to me later, I very specifically just spoke with some some Korean and Vietnam vets and it was difficult because, well, sad in a way, because they came up to me and said, just what you said, why didn't somebody teach that to me sooner? Yeah. You know, that I think was, you know, really, um, you know, very sad in a way. Yeah, now, now, now the, 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 uh, the police academy has decided they want to run a fire drill right now, so. Oh, of course. <laughs> If you, if you hear that in the background, that's what it is. That's what we're doing. All right. Good to know. Oh, goodness. This is our luck today. So for those listening, Patrick and I have had I know, the worst right? luck trying to manage technology today. Um, we're doing our best and we're committed to having this episode go out into the world. It's going to happen. Yeah, this is, I think to me, you know, one of, you know, with the, very specifically the program I work with, we talk about resiliency, right? Emotional resiliency and, and things like this, you know, I mean, you'd sum it up with that, you know, that bumper sticker, you know, like shit happens, right? I mean, that's, that's reality. Totally. We're just going to um, roll with the punches. You know, and, and it's, yeah. It's, yeah, well, but it's, this is something I wasn't able to do in the past. You know, a lot of these things I would react with a lot of frustration or anger and, you know, but you don't. You just get to understand through again intentional work. Again, I'm not. I'm not going to make this sound like this was an overnight thing. This was a long process that that I went through. Right. It included both intervention based um, mm -hmm. therapy, um, but then also you know the the system that we teach. We're not. We are not mental health professionals. Right. I'm just a, mm -hmm. a practitioner that's working in the field. But we teach people um, inter an interruption based model. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's we want them to be able to interrupt and be able to observe these markers before they get to the, the need for intervention. Yeah. And there's always going to be a need for those intervention services. Right. Um, I, I strongly advocate people take advantage of those intervention services. Um, you know, do not walk away from them. Do not turn away from them. Um, you know that if, if I can say there's one thing that I'm happy to see that's changing in my career is losing that stigma. Right. Losing mm -hmm. that stigma yeah. that, you know, it's it's weakness to to go this route. Um, and, and I'll go back to that systemic challenge. You know, we have to be very cautious as a profession whenever we encourage people to come forward. And then when they do come forward, how do we react as a profession? Yeah. How, how do we treat them systematically? I think some organizations are better at it than others. The ones that are doing it well, we need to be learning from them. Yeah. We need to be replicating what they do. Absolutely. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I yeah, I think, I think that, that that to me, you know, that resilience piece is kind mm -hmm. of like that cornerstone for, for all of us, for all totally. of us. But there, well, but there, you know, you, you know, very well, there's unique stressors, very unique stressors in what we 100%. do. Right? And that's why this, this yeah. book has to be extremely, ex extremely intentional. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think it's really interesting because I think, one of the things I've been hearing a lot more lately is how resilience feels like this, you know, fluff word that doesn't mean anything anymore. Like it's a word that people hate now because it just means that you have to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and bounce back and the system's still going to shit all over you. Um, and you yeah. just have to like muster, right? Like it feels like something that feels like grit based yeah. or something. Um, and I feel like yes. half of my time right now is spent just convincing people that that's actually not what resilience is. And when we talk about 
tools for resilience and proactive preventative skill sets that help support sustainability. We're not talking about like gritting through it or mustering (laughs) through it. We're talking about actual things that help support your brain in engaging it differently. Um, I'm going to end Patrick with, I'm curious if there's kind of any final words from you. So whether that feels like, um, you know, last thoughts about what you would want people to hear or know, um, or pieces that maybe point people in a direction to some of the work that you're doing and ways to support that work. Um, kind of anything in that vein, what would you want to share? So, you know, just specifically the organization I work with, um, you know, I, I went outside the system, right? Um, and went into the private sector, you know, and found like-minded individuals that knew that we needed to have these conversations. And most of the people that I work with are either still active duty military, um, military veterans, um, you know, that, that want to move this, this conversation um, for, for a lot of the same reasons that we, we do in the first responder community. Um, but, but our, our group is, is the Ellie group. It's E L I group.org. It's all one word, Ellie group.org. Um, and, and we just launched our, our website. So we're, you know, we're still just getting off the ground. Um, but, but really, you know, for the audience in general, please seek out your peer support, seek out your intervention services if necessary. Um, but, but consider stepping into that gap yourself and becoming a peer supporter, even if for no other reason, just to familiarize yourself, um, you know, with these, with these concepts so that you can more easily identify both in yourself, not just, and not just your coworkers, your family and your friends that you can more easily identify when someone is struggling. You know, we get taught in law enforcement, you know, to, to walk into situations and try and help. Um, you know, solve problems, right? That's basically what we do is we try to help solve problems. Um, but I think in a lot of ways we gloss over our own and we don't really, we don't really pay attention to them. We just bury them. So, so please seek out the, the training, become a student, um, not only for yourself, but your family, your friends, your coworkers. Totally. Good one. Thanks so much, Patrick. It was great to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And please, and thank you for the work you do. Please continue. I, I know that there is there are tremendous challenges with it, um, but we really need you. And, and we need a lot We need a lot more people like you um, because this is a huge problem. Um, and I think we're just starting yeah, to really hear, st- yeah. change that conversation. Yeah, thank you. Well, ditto on that. Like, thank you for all that you're doing because I think um, one of the struggles I find in, in what I'm doing is there is still some stigma. And so to see a therapist say the things, um, y'all are a skeptical group. And so there is something really meaningful from having people inside the room who are saying the things. Um, and I think that you have a substantial amount of influence over others that are surrounding you. So thank you for, for using that and using it intentionally. I think that's really important. Thank you for saying so. Yeah. Let me say one more really big thank you to Patrick for making the time to join me today. As we wrap up, let me remind you that if you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways that you can help to do just that. Number one, rate and review behind the line on Apple podcast or wherever you're listening. 
Number two, follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this amazing little community that we're building there. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you help us spread like wildfire thanks to the magic of the algorithm. And number three, share this resource and our other resources with those you know. If you'd like a poster or info cards about the podcast for your workplace, send me an email to support at thrive-life.ca. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe. 